We've created a special offer just for listeners of the podcast. You can get our book, A World of Creativity. Paperback is at a special price of $5.98, and the Kindle version is only $0.99. Cents. Go to my website, mark-stinson.com. The book is featured on the homepage. You can click it and go to Amazon, mark-stinson.com, and enjoy the book. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking Your World of Creativity. I'm Mark Stenson, and this is the podcast where we talk about how to think more creatively, break down the barriers to your creative thinking, have more fun with your creative projects, and of course, make the connections to get your work out into the world. There's no better guest to talk about that today than Gene S. Jones. Gene, glad to have you aboard. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Unlocking your world of creativity with Mark Stinson. And I was telling Gene, he's got one of the most eclectic resumes and background. We, we could take most of the podcast reading all the things that Gene has been able to do from juggling to producing, directing. He was a radio personality. But what we want to focus on, he's got a Pulitzer Prize nominated book called Younger and Wiser. Well, first of all, I'd like to say the subtitle for the book is Peaceful Words for a Troubled World, because uh, I really geared this book towards the pandemic situation that we all face right now and the need for creativity to solve the problems we face. It's really a groundbreaking piece of literature and it's a really unique format and it's got a lot of great content and I just can't wait to jump into it with you. So as we begin, now one of the things on your uh, resume is game show host. What, what a fun game called Give Me a Hint, Trivia Game Show. And uh, I want to start there. Like a game show, we have a lightning round but I'd like to do the lightning round at the beginning just to get to know you a little better and warm things up a bit. Start with, what's a creative project that you're working on right now that might have been on your desk or desktop for you even today? Well, actually, I've collected over the last 40 years wisdom phrases from all over the world dating all the way back to 2,500 years ago. And I'm in the process of collecting all of them and putting them together with some of my own original phrases and witticisms that I'd like to publish as a book. So that's my next project, my next book. Well, wonderful. And as you think about inspiration, you know, you talk about all the, the bits that you've been collecting, but do you have a source of inspiration when you feel you need a spark of, of fresh creativity? Where, where do you go to get inspired? Well, it's, you know, I really go within myself as opposed to some people go to the beach or wherever. It doesn't seem to matter to me the location that I'm in as much as the state of mind that I'm in. And um, I find that I even wrote a piece in my book, Younger and Wiser, about that called Writer's Block and how that can really stop a lot of people. And I really feel that clearing your mind to get to the next step is the most important thing. And that even brings in the concept of feng shui, where people clear clutter out of their houses. And it's the same with your mind. So trying to get clear, and one of the ways I do that is by always downloading at the end of a day. So at the end of the day, anything that's on my mind, I write it down. That way my mind isn't busy trying to retain it. That's great. And you know, we all run into these obstacles and you talk about writer's block. I mean, it's quite famous. Uh, you're staring at a blank piece of paper, you don't know what to write. But I think there's other kinds of writer's block too. Like, well, I have it written. Now I want to publish it or now I want to post it or now I want to print it. How have you dealt with that kind of writer's block? 
that's a that's really not the writer's block as much as the world block. <laughs> the world is blocking you from your next step. Um, one of the things I did learn with you know trying to get a book together and work with publishers and other people that are get involved, such as designers and book cover people and specialists in all different phases of book publishing, is that you really have to edit. And the editing process is actually a creative process because during the editing process, a lot of improvements were made to the book. So I would say that there's a lot of steps along the way when you want to publish and you shouldn't just jump into publishing right away. It's very important to get feedback from other people. I showed my book to all kinds of people, not just friends, but people who could give me objective uh, feedback on it and where it needed to be improved. And I got a lot of criticism, but it was all good and it all helped me move to the next step. Yeah. You're bringing up a good point. A lot of people think, uh, you know, this sort of image of a creative individual, really the solo creative spirit. Yeah. <laughs> but you're describing a collaboration that ha how many people are involved in getting something? It may only have your name on the front cover, but think about the team that uh, put it together. Well, and that goes to uh, something that I did with this book that I really did because of the pandemic was attach a free downloadable link to a PDF of my seminar on the nine pillars of creativity. And one of those pillars is just what you said. I call it collegiality, which is the aspects of your character and personality that makes it easier for you and more productive for you to interact with others. And yes, I find that life is actually a team sport in all endeavors, because as a producer, I couldn't just walk out and produce an event. I needed all different phases of production, including entertainers, tech people, transportation, vendors, and rentals. All those kind of things go into making a production. It's not just the creative vision. So what I have done is divided creativity into two aspects. One is artistic creativity, which is say writing a book, creating a, a play, a movie, maybe doing something great in sports. And then the other is practical creativity. And that is something that everybody can participate in and everybody can benefit from because practical creativity is solving the problems and challenges of life. Uh, that's terrific. I will say, Gene, I have so much fun in the podcasting world, but also just in my uh, career past, I've had a chance to interview professional sports athletes, you know, recording artists, uh, politicians, senators, and so forth. But you may be the first former game show host that I've had the chance to interview. So <laughs> something new every day. That's the best, what makes life good. There you go. So how, how does that aspect of fun, you've talked about some of your nine pillars, but there, doesn't there have to be some fun and creating, even when you're writing these emotional stories? Well, I think that's a great point. And I call it transformational play, actually, when I teach my workshops, because I believe that you're absolutely correct, that some element of play is important. But even more important than that, I think, is to love what you do. And I've been very fortunate in having a very enjoyable career, because every step of the way, every different activity that I did, I can say I really love doing it. And that really brought me into a whole new world of entertainment and interaction with people. Mm -hmm. Well, this book, Younger and Wiser, yes, it's peaceful words for a troubled world. I love the format, Gene. It's got the sort of poetic, very deep emotional story. And then you turn the page and it's literally the backstory on the back 
page of the poem. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration for that format and, and how it came together for you. It actually, like a lot of creative flashes, which is something I talk about in the book as well, um, it just came to me one day when I was sitting and I was thinking about this poem I wrote about the tragic death of my father when I was only 22. He died in his sleep overnight at the age of 58. And I remember just being in shock for quite some time. And one day I was on an airplane uh, and I started writing a poem about my father. And I called it Father's Day on Christmas. And because it was approaching Christmas at the time, and it was all about the things that my father had given to me. And I put it in terms of being Christmas presents. As I was thinking about that, I started thinking about that flight that I was on and how I came to write that poem. So I started writing the actual story of what got me to write the poem. And I said, wow, that's interesting. This backstory really adds a whole new dimension to what I just wrote as a poem. And that started a whole flood of backstories coming in for all the other poems that I had written. And pretty soon it just became part of the format of the book. Part of it is I've always loved movies and I've always observed how backstories are kind of wedged into films in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people say you know, they can appreciate art more. Like if you go to an art museum and you look at the painting, unless you're a very educated you know, art aficionado, you, you can look at it and say, I really like it or I don't like it or what have you. But when you hear the back story, you know, what, what is the story behind it or the composition or the styles and techniques more about the artist? You do appreciate it more. I think the same thing about your book. It's like I appreciated the poems once I knew the backstory. Well, what happened to me was the backstories became so enjoyable to write because it was almost like an experience of nostalgia because it took me back to all those moments where I was. One was in Paris, one was in Hawaii. You know, they were all over the country and around the world as I was traveling as an entertainer because this book was not written all at once. This book was a collection of thoughts over a period of 40 years that were stuffed into a briefcase and they were on cocktail napkins and hotel memo pads and grocery bags you name it, all kinds of things. Some of them I even wrote on the palm of my hand till I could get to a pad of paper. Uh, but so the inspirations were all at specific times in my life and bringing the back the picture of those experiences was actually very enjoyable for me as well. You know, I've heard that from songwriters, other authors and, and other creative folks that you sort of collect all these things. And sometimes there's a formal record keeping, there's a file or you know, people have them in their uh, note section of their laptop or what have you. How, how did you keep it all together on those grocery bags and hotel memo pads? Well, as I mentioned, for I'd say close to 30 years, it was just a briefcase. When I'd come home from tour, I would have all these odd pieces of paper and I would throw them into the briefcase. And then about three years ago, four years ago, the urge to publish them or at least to put them together to see if they were worth publishing, just started to nag at me. So I started entering them in the computer. But uh, initially, they were really just random mangy pieces of paper, as I call them in my book when I talk about the process. One thing I'd like to point out is that the creative process really can be broken down into a number of different phases and a number of different traits and characteristics, which is why I wrote The Nine Pillars of Creativity. And to me, the two 
basic ones. The most fundamental of all are freedom, meaning the freedom to think and not to have anyone else impose their will upon you. And number two is openness, which is the willingness to listen, accept change, and take in new information and process it in your own way. And do you have to, for that openness, do you feel personally that sometimes you have to subjugate your ego or it's like, look at all the things I know and look at all the things I can do to let some of those new ideas in? Absolutely. Well, to me, that's not the ego part is not a consideration. There's a purity to creativity when you can clear yourself of all your distractions. And that's a big part of it is getting rid of distractions. So many people have so many things on their plate, so many things on their mind, especially now concerns just about going out of your house or talking to people that normally your interactions would be so easy. Everything seems stressed at this point. So finding that space for openness is more difficult than ever and more challenging. So that's why I like to bring it up to make sure people focus on that aspect. Yes. And I think I read that you use a meditation practice and even sound healing uh, techniques. Uh, Tell us a little bit about that, if you will. Well, uh, can I go into the story of how I arrived at sound healing? Uh, Absolutely. Okay, well, it happened actually in 1995. I was driving to do a show in Connecticut, and I was in my Suburban when a car ran a red light and T-boned my Suburban and totaled it, and I ended up in the hospital Mm -hmm. uh, with some fairly severe injuries, but no broken bones. It was just fascia and muscles and cartilage, but I was in such pain for such a long period of time and having trouble functioning that I didn't know what to do and modern medicine was not working for me. So I actually discovered alternative medicine. And in the course of doing that, I just became interested in Tibetan stores. So I started in New York City, there's a number of them. I would walk into one of the stores and look around and for some reason I was attracted to these bowls. They have metal bowls. I didn't know what they were made of. I didn't know what they were used for. And I can picture it even now, looking at shelves, the top shelf, one isolated ball, asking, what do you do with this ball? And nobody would really tell me in these stores at first till I ended up in some little basement store with a whole bunch of bowls on cushions and the nice Tibetan woman who was actually a Sherpa started telling me about the bowls and playing them for me and telling me to hum. And we started doing a sound healing session until a bowl just resonated with me. And then she told me, that's your bowl. So I took it home. And while I was watching TV one night, laying on my living room floor, I put it on my shoulder and struck the ball. They give you strikers with little felt tips on them. And as soon as I hit the ball, the vibrations of the ball went into my shoulder and all the pain in my shoulder went away. Mm. This was a revelation, one of those aha moments they talk about. And I looked at my shoulder, I looked at the ball and I hit it again and all the pain went away. And that was my beginning of my journey into sound healing, which eventually led me to learn so enough that I could teach workshops on it. And then I got into crystal balls and other eclectic instruments, eventually went into Sanskrit mantras and all kinds of other healing modalities such as Qigong, and then started to combine them and teach workshops that were called transformational sound workshops. That's just terrific. Gene, you've had such a broad range of experience and really the stories and, and poems in your book, Younger and Wiser, cover a broad range of topics. But without being overly reductionist, do you see a constellation? You know, they're not just random dots uh, out in the sky. 
but they actually create a picture. What, what is that for you? How do these things shape your creativity and your life direction? There's definitely a constellation there. Uh, um, I think that it really boils down to caring about people and things. And that everything is done through that prism, the prism of wanting to be a constructive part of the human experience. And uh, I find that it's most rewarding when I feel like I've done something of value for others. And that's always been the way it went. I never thought about the audience loving me. I always thought of myself entertaining the audience. And when I first started out, I was happy if they smiled and giggled. Then I wanted them to have a belly laugh. Then I wanted to teach them something, which kind of got into my Give Me a Hint trivia game show, where I would bring in interesting facts that I thought might be mind expanding to people and find a playful way of introducing that. And now I'm trying to make people feel something and to actually be able to improve their lives. So it's kind of gone in phases. So you might say there's been different constellations at different stages of my life. That makes sense. How do you see the thread going through some of these stories? Well, I'm going to go to the title of the book, Younger and Wiser, because as I study my own title, I keep finding new nuances in it. Originally, I wrote it as Younger and Wiser after hearing the phrase older and wiser a lot and realizing that I did have some wisdom when I was younger, but not as much as after having all the experiences I've had in my life now. So at first, it was more about being younger and having some wisdom and then being wiser and wishing I was younger and combining all that together. But now I see it in a broader sense of the energy of youth combining with the wisdom of experience and having the older generation and the younger generation find what they have in common to better the human experience. So I think there's a lot of value in bringing those two demographics together because older people really have a, so much inside that often doesn't come out. When my mother was dying of pancreatic cancer, she was in a nursing home. And my mother, in all these years, had never seen one of my shows because all my shows have been to private audiences and corporations and mansions and back rooms of restaurants and all kinds of unusual places. But my mother was never there to see them. So I said, before she dies, I want her to see a show. I called the nursing home and I volunteered to do my game show there. And they said, sure, they got excited. And it was amazing, the turnout, the whole place turned out. They had to cut through walls of, uh, they had sliding walls of their multi-purpose rooms. And all these people were wheeled in on IVs and wheelchairs. Some of them looked half dead. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this will never work. But I started doing nostalgia trivia for the older people, and they started to wake up. And then they started to be really sharp mentally. They remembered everything. They started screaming. They, they could hardly be contained. They were jumping out of their wheelchairs, people who had never stood up in months or years. And I looked at this audience, and it was a, a real life-changing concept to see how much life was in these people that we sometimes take for granted or think are just kind of been discarded off to the side. They have so much to offer. And I think it would be great if our society tapped into that. Yeah, so important. Well, there's a particular story that I mentioned to you, Gene, and that's writer's block. I don't know if you have a copy uh, of your book handy. I would love for you to 
to read and share with us. And please bear with me because I have not read this one aloud, ever. This is a premiere on your show. I hope I do it justice. Soak my rampant tongue with lemon and douse this flaming pen with hydrants of reality, lest I drift further into the infinite space of unconnected thought. Madness crosses a threshold when drowning in wasted genius at a lake's bottom next to rusted beer cans and waterlogged shoes. How many times can blunted inspiration get out of bed, exhausted from paths leading nowhere, before deciding to burn notebooks stuffed with ideas never to be hatched, a lifetime of hopes and dreams turned nightmare by the tyranny of frustration? Prayers give way to desperation until a flickering cerebral ember reignites flames of pulsing creativity, propelling manic joy toward another mission without end, without a map, without hope of ever escaping each lonely page. Wonderful. And Jean, what is the backstory behind that poem? It actually relates to the poem before it, which is called The Specialist, which depicts an elderly man, kind of like Leonardo da Vinci in his studio workshop, and every time he creates something new and brilliant, he kind of gives it away. And there, then there's the reasons why. I won't go into all that. But this was the specialist on a bad day. That's what I was trying to conjure up. What would a creative person like him do on a day where he didn't have that inspiration? And how would he deal with the frustration of sitting there knowing there's something in him, but he just can't find it? And that's what writer's block is all about to me, is finding what's in you and being able to bring it to the surface. It's kind of almost like memory. Every fact, every piece of information we've absorbed in our lives is within us. It's just a matter of whether we can recall it. And that goes to my game show. It was all about recall. It's people that watch Jeopardy. A lot of times you do know the answer, you just can't come up with it fast enough. So. Writer's Block to me is about recalling the greatness within yourself. And I think in the story, and it, it, I don't know if I'll describe it properly, but you also describe this vision of, you know, birds circling in the sky, you know, some, <laughs> sometimes purposefully that they're circling their prey, but sometimes, hey, that's what birds do. They fly in the sky. And so they have not the direction or purpose that we think they should, perhaps. Well, the thing is about birds, they... I've become more and more intrigued by them just as a general species as my life goes on because they have a freedom we don't have. They can fly. They also can be vultures or they can come down and attack something we love. An eagle could come and attack your dog in the backyard. So there's so many different ways birds influence us, even in the fact that they, just by the way they fly, they carry seeds to different places and help um, inseminate the soil to grow fruits and vegetables. So there's a lot to birds that we don't always contemplate. Well, Jane, this has been a terrific conversation. And just as we turn the corner here and, and uh, wrap up in a moment, you mentioned uh, some other things that you're working on, but what's next for you? Well, it's really to keep developing creative projects. I actually have a kind of a list. I have a, about three or four different projects that I'm kind of bringing along slowly. And the way that I tend to work with creative projects is I get them to a certain point and then one will talk to me and say the time is now for, for that particular project. So I'm juggling between a couple of them, but right now uh, 
doing the book with all the phrases and wisdom phrases just seems to be very timely because those phrases contain so much that can help people. Yes. And as we think about helping people, some of the listeners of our podcast here, you know, are the kinds of people that have the creative ideas, they have the projects, they might even have one of those leather briefcases like you had, but, uh, but they need the, the push. Some of that's, I need the connections, or some of it's, I need the encouragement. What, what kind of advice would you have for somebody who's at the early stage of their creative endeavors and just needs that next push? Well, for me, it's never been about where it's going to end up. So in other words, I didn't write the book. I didn't write the poems because I wanted to publish them. I didn't write the book because I wanted fame and fortune. I, I just did these things because they felt organic to my personality. And I think that if you're always in tune with yourself, and that's a really important thing to know what's right for you at a given time, I think it really helps in terms of putting out the best quality product and to also realize what your passions are. Um, another one of my um, nine pillars of creativity and to have a lot of discipline. If you know what you love, really stick with it and acquire or figure out some kind of a discipline that will help you become better at what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Never give up. Just like in love, just like in all things. If you're determined to make it a success, it will really, really help your chances of achieving what you want. Well, thanks for sharing. Well, Gene, how can we find you and uh, connect with you? Well, the best way is to go to dreamquestpublishing.com. You will find a way to communicate with me there. Also, if you're interested in my game show, which I'm, I'm not even a former host, I still do them once in a while, just not as much as I used to because I have other interests. Um, it's gimmeahint.com and that's gimme, the slang way, gimmeahint.com. And the reason for the name of that particular game show name is because when people didn't know the answer, they would always say to me, come on, don't tell me the answer, give me a hint. So everything that's happened in my career has kind of come organically from experiences that I've had along the way. And I would love to communicate with your audience. Anytime they reach out to me, I will get back to them. Let's make that connection then. Well, folks, our guest has been Gene S. Jones, a uh, wonderful author, and his book is Younger and Wiser, Peaceful Words for a Troubled World. And thanks for sharing all these great backstories with us, Gene. We really appreciate it. It was a great pleasure. And join us again next time. We'll have another great guest with more inspiration on how to think more creatively, break down the barriers, and get your work out into the world. Thanks for listening. Ando King, your world, of creativity, with Mark Stinson, copyright, 2020. We're supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud. We use all sorts of Adobe tools to help create, produce, and promote this podcast. And we're hosted on the Captivate.fm platform. <laughs>